I speak to you now in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. just want to make sure that this uh, microphone is on. I think it is, but yeah. Today's gospel presents the Lord Jesus at 12 years of age in the temple with the doctors of the Jewish law. Mary and Joseph had been frantically looking for him for days. And when they finally found him, he seemed perplexed at their worry. He simply asked, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? This morning's epistle <clears throat> moves from that phrase, my father's business, to proving or knowing the will of God. St. Paul says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, our renewal spiritually, intellectually, mentally, and morally is in discovering and following the will of God not by adopting a secular or worldly mindset. And this is emphasized or illustrated for us very plainly today in the gospel with Jesus in the temple concerned with his father's business. What does it mean to have my mind renewed? I've been thinking a lot about this through the week in preparation for today. Paul says it has to do with proving the will of God as opposed to seeking approval from our culture. To be transformed by the renewing of my mind requires me to think differently. In what way? To start in the way we see ourselves. To think differently in the way that I see myself. To be more specific, St. Paul says, I say through the grace of God given to me, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, each according to the measure of faith that God has dealt. This sober thinking is necessary if we are to truly be one body in Christ and members one of another, as the Lord intends for his church. The context of today's epistle is important and perhaps will serve as an illustration to what I've just talked about. St. Paul was writing to the Christians in the city of Rome, and they were non-Jews or Gentiles. 
In the paragraph immediately previous to this morning's epistle, Paul was speaking to them about what happened to the Jews. He went on to say, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. For just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedience, disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. It's kind of like um, when uh, with two children, uh, if one was given something, uh, maybe the other did not want this particular thing, so it was given to the other. And once this one sees the beauty or the goodness of this thing, they want it. And that's how Paul is explaining this to the Gentiles. You've been given this salvation, and a hardening has come upon their hearts. A hardening has come upon their hearts so that you've been given a turn. And now that they see what you have, they're going to come to the salvation of God. The Lord is using you to bring his chosen people. The, tempt the key point that Paul talks about is that our justification before God, our salvation, our salvation is completely dependent on God's mercy through Christ. Therefore, as Paul says, do not think too highly of yourself. And remember, although we are individuals, we are individual members. We're parts of a whole. There is one body in Christ, and everyone is member of one of another. There is a family, and you belong. The temptation that Paul was illuminating for the church in Rome was pride and entitlement. He was saying, don't think that you deserve God's mercy and don't think that you're better than the Jews. They remain his chosen people and he's working out his plan to bring them to salvation through you. In his last book entitled The Radical Disciple, published in the year before his 90th birthday, Church of England priest and author John Stott urged Christians to think differently in all aspects of life. In particular, he listed eight aspects of life. Nonconformity, Christ-likeness, maturity, creation care, simplicity, balance, dependence, and death. I don't think I would have ever thought about using those words to bring the whole of life uh, together. Nonconformity, balance, simplicity, dependence. As part of these, for example, he insisted that we need to think differently in matters concerning material things, in terms of our service to the community, in terms of suffering, 
in terms of personal relationships and the need for giving and receiving forgiveness, his main point was the Lordship of Christ and our submission to God's will in all aspects of life. So one of the aspects, as I mentioned, was creation care. I'd like to use this as an illustration for what Paul talks about in today's epistle. There's a challenging point in Stott's writing about creation care that certainly involves our care of the environment, but it goes right to the heart of being renewed in, the, in my mind and of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Here goes. In a publication entitled Decisive Issues Facing Christians Today, which preceded Stott's book, The Radical Disciple, John Stott discussed basic ideas behind creation care. He began by carefully examining the first chapter of the book of Genesis, specifically verses 27 and 28, which read like this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. From these verses, John Stott noted that first God created us in his image. We have a soul. We can think rationally and act morally. And we have a spiritual capacity for faith. And all together, these enable us to know God and to have a unique relationship with Him. Of all the creatures God made, we have the capacity to have this unique relationship. Stott also noted that the dominion or the rule which God gave human beings over every living thing is a cooperative dominion. In other words, we must humble ourselves to acknowledge that our dominion over nature would be entirely fruitless if God had not made the earth fruitful and if he did not continue to give the increase if he did not continue to sustain what he has created. Stott went on to point out that our dominion is a delegated dominion, and therefore a responsible one. The dominion we exercise over the earth does not belong to us by right, only by favor. The earth belongs to us not because we made it, not because we own it, but because its maker has entrusted its care to us. Understanding this piece properly has everything to do with being about our Father's business. 
It really does. It has everything to do with thinking soberly. And it has everything to do with proving God's will. It is absolutely key to the renewal of our minds. Why? Because in this we are reminded of our identity, who we are. We are God's creatures. We are made in His image. He has entrusted us with the dominion of His creation. And we are responsible to Him for our use of all that He's made. For decades, our stewardship of God's creation has been anything but responsible. In fact, as we all know, the planet is in an environmental crisis, which Scott says is due to human greed. He says, economic gain by environmental loss. This admission of ours is important for the sake of the environment, but it's important also if we are to understand our place and if we are to be transformed. St. Paul goes on, goes so far as to say that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God as our reasonable service. This is also part of today's epistle. His point is that as followers of Christ, our whole life, every aspect of it, body and soul, needs to become submissive or obedient to God's will. I am intrigued by Scott's point about creation care and our role in it. And in fact, I don't know why I've not allowed this point to really penetrate my mind before. Scott is right. The way we view our dominion over creation will impact the way we understand our, our relationship with God and consequently the way we choose to live with one another on this planet. And frankly, it will determine how we view our Father's business and how we prove His will. If we think that it's our right to dominate and destroy, we will ignore Paul's call to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. One more piece in this sidebar illustration that comes next. I was introduced this week to some of the writing of a guy named Wendell Berry. He's a poet and farmer in Kentucky, 86 years old now. He's written some 80 books. And he has some really helpful things, in my opinion, to say about all of this. The renewal of our minds. The transformation of our whole life. I think what he's written on this topic is refreshing. Here's just a piece. He writes, for most of this, the history of this country, the United States, our motto, implied or spoken, has been think big. I've come to believe that a better motto and an essential one now is think little. 
That implies the necessary change of thinking and feeling and suggests the necessary work. We need better government, no doubt about it. But we also need better minds, better friendships, better marriages, better communities. We need persons and households that do not have to wait upon organizations, but can make necessary changes in themselves on their own. For example, as odd as I'm sure that it will appear to some, I can think of no better form of personal involvement in the cure of the environment than that of gardening. If we apply our minds directly and competently to the needs of the earth, then we will have begun to make fundamental and necessary changes in our minds. The change of mind I'm talking about involves not just a change of knowledge, but also a change of attitude toward our essential ignorance. The principle of ecology, if we take it to heart, should keep us aware that our lives depend upon other lives and upon processes and energies in an interlocking system that though we can destroy it, we can neither fully understand nor fully control it. And our great dangerousness is that locked in our selfish economics, we've been willing to change or destroy far beyond our power to understand. We are not humble enough or reverent enough. Think little. How refreshing. And in my opinion, it fits dead on with what Paul's talking about in the epistle in terms of being transformed by the renewal of our mind. How? Well, to think little is rooted in, in a humble, reverent heart. To think little is to take personal responsibility rather than sit back and blame the problem on somebody else. Thinking little encourages simplicity and integrity. It is a mindset that supports the sober judgment which St. Paul calls for, rather than the worldly attitudes of pride, selfishness, and entitlement. Think little. <clears throat> Take responsibility for what I am able to do. What we're considering in all of this today really are the ways that we regard and the way we use people and things. Remember, Paul was speaking to the Gentile church. How would they use the gift of salvation, the election that he had brought to them? We can exercise dominion as a right of entitlement and do whatever we please. Or we can think soberly and live mercifully, knowing that we are saved only by the mercy of God 
in Jesus Christ. It's a much narrow, narrower road. But it is the road of life and hope. In order to be transformed, we must allow this abundant, saving mercy into our minds. This is key. In order to be transformed, we must allow God's abundant, saving mercy into our minds. We must open our hearts to his goodness. This is what Paul was telling the church in Rome. The sacrifice of Jesus must become personal. I must believe that he came and was born at Bethlehem, that he was humiliated in Jerusalem, and that he suffered under Pontius Pilate and shed his precious blood for me. I must truly believe that it was not the nails that kept him on the cross that day, but his love for each and every person on this planet. This is, after all, what Jesus said about his Father's transforming will. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Epiphany season presents over and over the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. We're most familiar with the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles through the visit of the wise men. They were Gentiles. God sent a star to lead them to his son. The shepherds were Jews. The wise men were Gentiles. They represent us and the salvation that he offers to us. God led the, the wise men by the star that they might know the Lord Jesus to be their Savior, as well as the Savior of the Jews. The appearance of that star was not because God owed them. It was simply because he is merciful and he wants no one to be lost. As we continue with the frustrations and the ups and downs of this pandemic, and as we continue with the sadnesses and the changes that it has brought, there is an opportunity, a life-filled opportunity for us to approach our Heavenly Father's business differently and to have our minds renewed. Acceptance of this word is key. Do not think too highly of yourself. Think soberly. We are one body in Christ and members one of another. As Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who know their need for God. Wendell Berry's motto is think little. And in my opinion, it fits. We are made in God's image not to live with entitlement, but rather with mercy. This is how the Almighty Lord has treated us, and this is how he calls us to treat one another. It is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is the way of hope and everlasting life and eternal joy. But it requires radical discipleship and a transformation in every aspect of life. Now unto God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, power, honor, and glory, as is most justly due, henceforth and forevermore. Amen. Amen.